Is it like a is it like a prerequisite that we should be in our pajamas while shopping in the sick cold aisle? Well, that seems like what other people do. It is do. preferable. Okay. Um, the dress codes is flexible. It's like more I'm, like guidelines. I'm way overdressed right now. Acids. Got your Tums, your Peptos. Now, okay, if I said get something for your stomach, like you have upset stomach, you have indigestion, you have heartburn. Mm-hmm. Like, Pepto-Bismol. Okay, Pepto-Bismol. Just why? Why do you say Pepto-Bismol? Because it's got the catch song. <laughs> no, okay, question. You got Zantac, you got Pepsid, you got Tums, you got Prilosec. Do you, is it like an either or or a both and? Do you know? Uh... I haven't the slightest clue. Okay. Uh, if I had, I don't even. Uh, if I had heart, I would just look on the thing and it's like acid reducer. Don't know what that does. Prevents heart and relieves heartburn. Boom. I know what that does. Okay, but look, but look at this. The acid controller. Look at that active ingredient. Famotidine tablet. Famotidine. Okay. Now look at the active ingredient of peptid. Pepsid. Famotidine. Yeah, same one. Same obviously. one. So they're the same. Okay, but look at this one. But Zantac's Zantac different. is Renitidine. a different one. Renitidine. Oh, but look at the Walzan brand. Renitidine, yeah, totally. Here the here the generic isn't really cheaper than the Well actually I guess it is a little cheaper because there's more tablets in this one. Yeah. There's only like ten in the Zantac brand versus the right. the Walgreens knockoffs. There's twenty four tablets just different on Okay, but look at Prilosec. You got Prilosec, you got Omeprazole, you got Lensoprazole, you got what else they got in here? Walls, uh, more Walzan kind of brands. Oh, yeah. Omeprazole. What are these? So, can you take this with the Zantac? Can you take this with the acid controller? Or are they like, sure, would you be. Well, how do you know you're not double dosing? Because it's different. It's a different Renitidine versus Omeprazole. <gasps> oh, you're so smart. Because like the, interaction well, the names are different though, right? Like ranitidine, famotidine, you know those are similar. They just sound similar. Yeah, Versus esomeprazole and omeprazole, they sound similar too. So you probably shouldn't do two similar sounding things. I don't know. Wouldn't that be better? Could I could I do a famotidine and a ranitidine? And like, would it be as effective? Would it be like twice as effective? It's like double dosing, double, like double dipping on the same thing. But they're the same family. Same family, yeah. All right, let's keep trucking. Hello everyone, this is Jessica and this is Andrew. We're going to recap a little bit of what you just heard in that last segment as we were going through the aisle and the pharmacy and trying to make sense of the myriad of options on the shelf. So let's talk about the whole upset stomach, antacid, heartburn department. Yeah, uh, I feel like there's a theme song that might sort of talk about all the possible symptoms you could have. Does it involve like a pink liquid? Uh, yeah, it might. It might. Okay. Maybe. Is you want to go light, there? We can go there. Red? It's a light red though, isn't it? No, no, no. It's definitely pink. It's the pink medicine. Let's talk about Pepto-Bismol. That seems to really be your favorite that you keep gravitating towards. You know, uh, my mom used to take Pepto-Bismol. Like, she thought it was candy. She thought it tasted really good. I don't believe that. There are different forms. There's the like liquid form, and I think they yeah they do have the harder forms. 
I don't, I mean, you guys must have been desperate for sugar. You know, hard story, times in Iowa. That story might be apocryphal. It was southern Minnesota. Southern Minnesota, but... even worse. <laughs> so, Pepto Bismol is uh, a salicylate. It's a bismuth um, salicylate. It's a has an antacid in it, and Meaning it's you like can, a basic substance. It's like a binder. It's a binder. Yeah, so that's why it can help with your... Uh, it helps coat the intestinal tract, soothe the inflammation. That's why it can help with the heartburn and the indigestion symptoms. Uh, it can also help with the diarrhea symptoms for the same reason. Um, so yeah, that's a good go-to one. It's pretty pretty safe. The one thing that people don't realize about Pepto-Bismol, okay. which I should throw out there... Yeah. So when it combines with sulfide, which is, you know, basically like a sulfur element it, that we naturally have, a naturally occurring mineral, it will, or it can, turn your stools like tarry black, scary looking, which normally we think of that when you have some kind of gastrointestinal bleed, but Pepto-Bismol can do that crazy stuff too. And it can do the same thing on your tongue. After, if you use it too much, you'll get what's called black hairy tongue. What? Yeah. Why do they have the hairy part in there? Um. Is it... It's just the appearance <laughs> of it. It's not actually hairy. It's like a buildup on your tongue. Uh, and that's funny. yeah, and for some people, if they way overdo it, they can get ringing in their ear for like the tinnitus symptoms. Wow. Or tinnitus. I, I think I might ways. use uh, black hairy tongue as like a derogatory insult. That along with uh, Bolshevik scoundrel, <laughs> those two are my going to be going to be my go-to. Your go-to, yeah. your go-to insult. Thank you, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the one who taught you that. Um, so yeah, just things to know. You can also I've seen the black hairy tongue uh, with certain peroxide mouthwash solutions. Um, so you just randomly get this, and you're like, ah, is my tongue like dying? Sometimes it's also an oral hygiene thing, um, but so not related to what you're taking. Yeah, there's there could be many causes. It's uh, the good news is it's a benign, meaning not harmful condition. Okay. So there we go. That's some Pepto Bismol. Another thing in the antacid category: your Tums, your Maalox, your Gaviscon. You're using those for in the moment. Ooh, I have heartburn. I overdid it. Kind of thing. Yeah. They're not going to do anything on the preventative end. Um, Maalox, by the way, uh, we use that a lot of times in our magic mouthwash prescriptions. Magic mouthwash just being a, a colloquial term for a combination of different things. Like normally it's Maalox um, or sucrophate, Benadryl, and viscous lidocaine. For people when you have like really bad mouth sores or bad pharyngitis or sore throat and nothing else is working, sometimes we prescribe that. So an over-the-counter go-to that you could try, you couldn't get the lidocaine, but you could do like one part Maalox, one part Benadryl, swish and gargle that and spit it out. But I thought Benadryl and Maalox were both in pill form. Would you no, no, no. You, there's liquid forms. There's liquid forms. Yeah, right. yeah. There's right. liquid forms. Uh, okay, so going on to other pills for the stomach, you have your your histamine uh, type two blockers uh, or antagonists. 
that would be your Zantac, the generic name is Ranitidine, your Pepsid, the generic name is Famotidine, and your Tagamet, the generic name is Cimetidine. So obviously those all sound the same, Ranitidine, Famotidine, Cimetidine. Uh, they are blocking uh, histamine, but a certain kind of histamine also related to acid production in the stomach. So again, they're more so something you use in the moment for your heartburn. Or maybe if you know you're going to get a heartburn, you could take it maybe right before your meal. So that's an antihistamine. Just yeah. a specific stomach type. Yeah, so that's why you'll see sometimes when um, parents will take their kids to the pediatrician when they get really bad, I don't know, kind of insect bites and the kids are scratching all over the place. And sometimes they'll get um, treated with Benadryl and uh, a Zantac. And it's like... Why are, why are you giving my kid a heartburn medicine for his insect bite? No, 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 because it can augment the, the histamine-blocking abilities. Yeah, so sometimes you can add that on as well, too. So that's opposed to the other ones were acid binders. Right, like neutralizers. So, like, if you they, put Pepto-Bismol in a cup of vinegar, it's gonna, what's, it, what's it do? Chemically? I mean, it's like, does it turn into, like... Uh, a precipitate or something. I, I mean, I've never done that. We should do that experiment. Yeah, we should do that. I'm curious. We have now. the pH strips. We could check it, see what it does. Well, I'll think if I'm it, not if convinced it was, it's going uh, to completely change the pH. No, though. if it changed the pH, you'd get some sort of yeah. exothermic reaction. Or you wouldn't want that. Yeah, right. So, like, uh, so I'm not sure binding Diet Coke wise. and Mentos. So you, you want to see some precipitate happen when you mix yeah, it's gotta be Pepto-Bismol with vinegar. Yeah. Pretty sure that would be I, I've never thought to do that. Okay, we'll do that sometime. All right, we'll model the stomach in a water glass. I don't think that's going to be an accurate model of the stomach. Uh, we could go that's get a big be, stomach. That's going to be like a kids Bill Nye the Science Guy version <laughs> experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Well, how much you want to invest in this? We could get a GoPro, get a pig stomach from the butcher. Uh, that's no, that no, that doesn't work. It have to be a live animal, so it's actively producing stomach acid. We'll have to manufacture this. And then PETA's going to come after us. But vinegar is pretty close to the pH of stomach acid. It is. It's, it's, worth, a, it's worth a start. We'll, we'll do that. All right. Just to see what happens, because I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then the last category I want to talk about are the proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs, as we call them. That's your, your Nexium, which is esomeprazole, your Prilosec, which is huh. omeprazole, and your Prevacid, which is Lansoprazole. There are also some other ones, um, like prescription ones that you can get. And they're prescription because either they're higher strength or they may have been formulated with a capsule that is designed to release um, during different parts of the digestive system based on your pH level. So they're going to last longer. Like they're going to you know, there's some that are touted to last you, you know, all day long. And so you can start off with the over-the-counter stuff. And if that's not cutting it for you, then you, you know, get one of the prescription strength ones. Yeah, I remember probably like OTC. That's, that's the only one I can think of right now. But I think yeah. I've, I've seen ads for that. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. So, and what they're doing is they're inhibiting the the proton pump, like, that's that's producing the, the stuff leading to the stomach acid, decreasing the pH of the stomach acid. Hmm. So thus uh, alleviating so much of the strong acidity in the stomach. 
So we could go into a whole different podcast on the pathophysiology of what's actually happening with heartburn and gastritis and stomach ulcers. And there are some debates on uh, what is the root cause of it and how you treat it. I see that a lot when I'm reading things from like functional medicine practitioners or alternative medicine people versus Western medicine. There's, there's a lot of debate on that. I don't want to get into all of that right now. Um, I'm still, for me, I, I see some, some merits to either theory, but I also haven't seen a lot of like studies on maybe the alternative side. So I'm still need to look into that, but I just wanted to talk about the medicines on that. And then on the other uh, spectrum, since we mentioned just kind of the upset stomach and the Pepto-Bismol earlier, you've, you've got your Imodium for like diarrhea. Imodium. Yeah. I've never heard of that. You've never heard of Imodium? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that helps with, with diarrhea, what? you know, when you're sick. I, I'm not a big fan of going towards Imodium for diarrhea, though, because if you have... Maybe if it's a stomach virus and you still have the runs or something like that for a little bit, or you have... Um, I don't know, some other condition, like maybe a food sensitivity and you tend to have that. That's one thing. But if you have a bacterial infection, you shouldn't be using a medicine to suppress your diarrhea. You want to clear that bacteria out. So for example, if you think you have food poisoning, you don't want to stop the diarrhea. Yeah. You want to get that cleared out of your system. Yeah. Most of the time, you don't need antibiotics uh, for food poisoning. You, t- you don't need any medicine. You just need to be hydrated. To stay well hydrated is the key. Um, so, I mean, I don't really recommend it a lot, but sometimes there is a valid need so for it. So, modium just locks you up. It's like the opposite of prune juice. So you're yeah. To, it's like the yin and yang symbol on one side. You got yeah. prune juice. One side, you got a modium. Okay, so since we're talking about prune juice and constipation, oh, all right. my uh, things that I recommend for people who have a regular constipation issue that is an over-the-counter remedy they can also use, other than, of course, diet. I'm all about you need to increase your fiber intake. If you're regularly not having normal stools, you're probably not eating enough fiber. I mean, you, you need to have, like, 50 to 60% of your plate needs to be like, fruits and vegetables, not not just grains and or other carbs, um, you know, that are too starchy. I've got some oak stools... Or are walnut stools considered? What are you considered where, normal? Where are you going? Or maybe with this? like ash, ash stools. You ever heard of ash stools? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so talking about kind wooden of wood? stools. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are those considered normal stools? Oh, I'm not even gonna answer that. Uh, wow. You always get me off track. So, Miralax. <laughs> if it's not, if you can't, if you've improving your diet and you still have room for improvement and you need something in the short term, Miralax is a good over-the-counter. Okay. Uh, safe in pediatrics as well. There is also a milligrams to kilogram dosing. So that one, again, I say go to your pediatrician, but sometimes little kids that get plugged up will prescribe like the Miralax stool clean-out protocol or flush-out protocol. Um, and basically they drink and drink and drink and drink it. They, you can put like a powder, a capsule yeah. of powder in juice. Yeah. And they drink it to the point where they're having liquid stools. And when and that happens, you know, okay, we're clear. All right. Yeah. That sounds very Well, pleasant. actually, sometimes they even make them do it until it's, like, looks like water. I mean, I don't go that far. But 
it's because you can have what's called overflow diarrhea with little kids where <laughs> yeah yeah where you that's just a great term are so constipated mm. you're so constipated i really hope you're not eating while listening to this podcast people um you can be so constipated that the only thing that can get around the hard form stool is liquid so sometimes you'll see that in kids where they're like straining and straining and the only thing that's coming out is liquid yeah. and parents are like well they don't have constipation they have diarrhea you get an x-ray boom they're still completely plugged up wow. like their colon is just full yeah and they got a little hairy black so you, stool in there no not hairy don't go back to, it's not, we're not talking about hairy <laughs> black hairy stuff again so uh yeah so anyways Miralax is a good safe one um to start off with and also there's the metamucil you can mix those both of those are basically you know powders that you can mix in your drinks okay so i am i am somewhat serious in that i don't think i ever received any education on what a well-formed stool looks like so i'm just like I, does it just feel right when it comes out is that how you know well, you have well-formed okay stool? your stool shouldn't float if it does there's something abnormal going on there okay that's, should, that's a good start it should, it should sink okay and it shouldn't be like really hard to to go. Let's just say All it right. like that. So it's it's more of a feeling. It's like I guess it's so. easy. Yeah. It's, like because if you're pushing too hard, that's how you get hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. Yeah. yeah. So normally people get hemorrhoids when they are constipated. They're pushing too hard, right. and they get basically dilated um, veins in that area. Dilated veins. Okay. Yep, in their so rectal area. Like too much blood flow. Well, it's it's like they the, the blood vessels will expand and yeah. they can even become thrombosed where they can get like a blood clot in them. It's really wow. painful. That sounds terrible. Um, not like a life threatening blood clot, you know, like the ones you can get in your lungs or other places. It's totally different. It's like right. superficial <laughs> vessel. But when it's under a lot of pressure, that area it puts too much stress on those and they, they dilate and expand and then that causes the hemorrhoid problems. Wow. Um yeah, probably. I didn't really mean for this episode to turn into all about all about poop, but we went there pretty fast. So this is, you know, it, but it's that questions book. that people Everybody need poops, to know. Right? Everybody yeah. poops. Yeah, you should be at least. How much fiber should we eat? So I have listened to people who talk about Aboriginal people groups that eat about 200 grams of fiber a day. You know how much the average American eats? 50. Like less than 20. Less than 20. 20 grams of fiber a day. Yeah. I I think the grams. higher you can shoot for, the better. Two, now, 200 grams. I, there's like those who are just plant-based eaters, kind of, you know, nomadic. Like 100 to 200 is their average. 200 is their max, I guess is what I should have said. Wow. I find most people eat like 20 or less. That's like a third pound lettuce hamburger. Like third pound of lettuce. Yeah. Or is lettuce like straight fiber? Is that like yeah? There's pretty a lot much? of a lot of the vegetables, a lot of roughage, a lot Ruff. of roughage in there. Ruffage. So if you have some kind of upset stomach issue, or you're recovering from a colitis, an inflamed colon, or diverticulitis, those kinds of things, they, the doctors will tell you don't eat a lot of fiber while you're recovering. You don't want anything like too rough on your gut then. So again, we're mainly addressing the average person who's healthy I'm not talking about if you have any 
health issues. We're talking about normal physiology of the human sure. body. So you got to eat the roughage to avoid the rough stools. You know, like, sure. Yeah. yeah, you could just remember it that way. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. It's okay. not as catchy as your little catchphrases, though. You got some pretty good catchphrases. <laughs> okay, I'll work on that. Maybe you can come up with a mixed metaphor for us. Not on the spot. Not on the spot. Do you have any other questions? Have you ever heard of a photon engine? No, we're not going there. Okay, that was the end of this session. <laughs>
and yeah. tamperin. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. And, and you and you find acetaminophen in like a lot of your cold and, and flu, cold stuff, and flu stuff, like your Dayquil stuff. Man, whoever discovered acetaminophen, they must have made bank. Who was that person? Mr. Tylenol. Do you know so, that, that, that in, in Europe, they don't have, in other parts of the world, they use paracetamol. Paracetamol? It's like their other form. They don't really have acetaminophen. They oh. use paracetamol, but it's like the same thing. It's just if you're traveling and you don't see a Tylenol, you get that. Paracetamol. Oh, cool. I see other form, but yeah. they have this similar. Then this Aleve is this naproxen sodium. But then there's also the ibuprofen one. Yeah, so ibuprofen, What that's down here. So Aleve is the brand name for naproxen. Advil's the brand name for ibuprofen. Uh, yeah. Tylenol's the brand name for acetaminophen. Right. That's the basic breakdown. Aspirin, aspirin is aspirin. There's some Bayer. Bayer is like the brand name for aspirin, I guess. That's, that's basically your, your general categories. Yeah. Hey, we're back. And we want to go on to talk about pain medicine, headaches, and you heard some of us in that last segment. But before we do, I want to answer your question that you asked me before, Andrew, about what is the recommended amount of fiber. Okay. So I got this from you know, University of California, San Francisco. They were doing a whole you know, page on fiber, and they, the FDA recommended amount is 25 to 30 grams. I think that's on the low end. I know a lot of other, um, you know, dietitians and health practitioners. Again, more so like in the, like the functional medicine, maybe holistic medicine world, who would recommend going up to forty or fifty. But yeah. do, you, do you know what the average American gets? Ten. Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. So the average American is still getting less than what the FDA recommended amount is, and I know many that think the FDA recommended amount is still on the low end. I think I, I think I like to eat a little more fiber than yeah, uh, right. 25 or whatever it was. Just wanted to answer your question there. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think we did pretty good coverage on most of the, you know, headache medicines and all that. I only wanted to add a few comments. Okay. So let's talk about naproxen we mentioned is Aleve. Naproxen I recommend as a safer alternative if you are if you are taking um, an NSAID, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, as we talked about in the last episode, what that acronym actually stands for, <laughs> you want to do Aleve or Naproxen. A brand name of the equivalent is Naproxen. Uh, it's all the same thing. The generic drug is, is the same. And you want to do that because Naproxen is considered safer on the GI tract so one of the problems you get when you take an NSAID too much, that could be aspirin, ibuprofen, or naproxen. If you take it too much, it can inhibit prostaglandins. And we mentioned how prostaglandins are important in pregnancy. They're also important in um, protecting our stomach lining. So that's why people who take too much ibuprofen can get stomach ulcers, or they get gastritis, upset stomach more easily. Um, they've also done studies leaking NSAID use to leaky gut. Okay. Yeah, so you don't want to take, which, you know, le leaky gut leads to IBS and a host of other problems, autoimmune IBS, diseases. IBS we can talk about that later. But it stands for irritable, irritable bowel, syndrome. bowel syndrome. Yeah, thanks for 
making me not use acronyms all the time. Jargon. And I w so if you are taking ibuprofen, it's okay once in a blue moon when you have an injury, uh, if you have menstrual cramps, uh, but if you are wanting to take something regularly, for example, you notice, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Aleve commercials, they're targeted more towards arthritis. You know, they typically show a woman in her 40s or, you know, someone in their 60s and, you know, they got that. Leave helps them get out and go with their friends. Yeah, they can still yeah. play that intramural baseball, whatever, Woo. climb those stairs. So, <laughs> so naproxen is considered safer. Um, it's the safest of the insects. Yeah. In terms of, like, not killing off your gut lining. Yeah, you could put it that way. Right. Okay. If it's something you're going to take more regularly, uh, and it's supposed to last for 12 hours, it's supposed to last longer, so you don't do naproxen every six hours like with ibuprofen. Oh. Okay, oh. so that's just one little caveat uh, I wanted to mention. It was also considered safer for those with a history of cardiovascular disease. Um, ibuprofen, I think the only thing I wanted to mention that we didn't earlier in that last clip was that ibuprofen you find two brand name forms advil or motrin not really much of a difference you'll find motrin uh easier to get in a children's liquid formulation okay. and that's dose 10 milligrams per kilogram uh, but really you know they're both similar brand names um just total anecdote i have found sometimes that the liquid advil i i feel like it it acts quicker than maybe the generic ibuprofen but like we found in the pharmacy, there are doing some liquid capsule, or not liquid, but the capsule um, gel formulations in a, excuse me, in a generic brand. So yeah. it might just be all about that delivery system and you don't have to necessarily get the brand name. And then with aspirin, uh, you know, aspirin that has the added benefit of, uh, although it's an inset, it's, it thins the blood because it stops um, platelet clotting. So for those who maybe have a history of blood clots or stroke or heart attack, their cardiologist will recommend them. There hasn't been any studies. Uh, they used to recommend people if maybe they had high blood pressure, uh, oh, take an aspirin regularly. It might prevent you from getting a heart attack. That has now been um, shown to be false. Really? Yeah. So now we no don't use baby it. aspirin. You don't use it for primary prevention. Oh. You use it for secondary prevention. What does, that, what does that mean? So that means that if you have had a cardiovascular event like a heart attack or a stroke or some other blood clot in your leg or your lung in the past, then they will recommend you take it to prevent a secondary event. And that has been shown to be effective? Yes. Oh. So it's no longer recommended to do the aspirin just on the front end on the front end like it's only recommended if you've never had any events like that so basically don't take an aspirin unless your doctor tells you to take an aspirin yeah okay that's that's the gist I, of it on a daily basis we're talking about so i got a question okay my doll can men take it yeah absolutely men can okay. take my doll excedrin just Look, don't like let people see you or you might lose your man card. Well, exactly. So it, I think Excedrin is basically the same as my dog. You know, they are very similar. So it's I all think, about the packaging. I think it's marketing. I think they marketed my doll towards women first. And then there were the men who were uh, making my doll. They were like, wow, this is really effective marketing. Except yeah. 
we love Midol and now we can't take it. You could totally take Midol for your, for like your, your man flu. My man flu? Your headaches and all that stuff. What? I don't get man flu. Yes. Every guy gets man flu. I've never had it in my life. <laughs> you I'm know sure. what man flu is. Man flu is when the guy gets the same sickness as everybody else, but he thinks he's going to die. <laughs> and everybody else has to like serve him meals in bed kind of thing. <laughs> Anyways. No, you're great when you get sick. But I have oh. seen real cases of the man flu come in the clinic. Really? Yeah, you'll see like... Is it the... contagious? <laughs> to other men. <laughs> to other men. <laughs> well, no, because when their wife gets the same thing they do, they're like not looking in nearly as bad a shape. Uh. I just think that's because... I'm not... I think that women are accustomed to pain because of our monthly cycles. It's... We've had to... We've had it drilled into us. It's not the end of the world. You're going to be in pain. And you Except, are not uh, going to feel good. For uh, for some women, it's one or two days. For some women, it's a full week. But women have... Every month. Women have experimentally lower pain tolerance. That's been proven? Yeah. We're, where? I've higher not heard pressure, higher, higher skin pressure sensitivity. Higher skin pressure sensitivity. And higher... Okay. Higher skin pain sensitivity. Okay, but we're talking about a totally different kind like of pain. Internal pain. Yeah, you okay, so so maybe that means that we have more sensitive or more sensitive to pressures. That would actually mean that we're we be literally more sensitive. Literally, yeah, we could feel <laughs> things more. But we're talking about a different kind of pain internal. Yeah. That pain threshold I think is a different altogether different. And that I don't know how you could ever measure that. Like how how can you know, they've tried to put those things the stimulators on the guys to simulate what childbirth feels like I still don't know because I mean, how do we know that that's what childbirth feels like how do how does my childbirth like how would you know what that feels you take like? women who have had kids you put the thing on them you ask them does, does this, this feel, feel like, like childbirth when you had your kid yeah. and if they say yes then you put that on the then guy you put it on the dude I guess that's yeah. yeah I guess that could work did they actually do that I don't know with those simulators know. if they actually put it on women first and ask them does this feel like the real thing <laughs> it sounds kind of a it's, a it's a little out there it's still subjective it's, it's very subjective plus there's like we said there's differences between uh, men and women in, in on general in general on the whole on Absolutely. some of these Absolutely. external yeah. so did i answer your i answered your might all question you yeah can, it's marketing versus you, et cetera. yeah they do stuff like that all the time they did that with um antidepressant classes too really uh, yes yeah, syrup them so they came out with Seraphim sounds for women. Yeah, exactly. So basically, it's Sam. it's an antidepressant that was already on the market for other things, okay. but they market it towards women who have um, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Basically, how you know when your estrogen levels are plummeting at the end of your cycle, and the little bit of stress tolerance that you had before is out the window, and you're just way more irritable. Well, it's like. For some women, it's like that times 100 when they get to that part of their monthly cycle. And so, yeah, this was basically the same drug already on the market, on, on the market, but they just catered it towards those women. They repackaged it. They put pretty flowers, like, uh, like sunflowers or dandelions on the packaging and yeah. um, just said, like, we understand you. We're going to help you get through your cycles. Ever prescribed it to a dude? the generic <laughs> 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 and they don't know 
So you just don't tell them. Oh, uh, they're is having seraphim and they don't even know it. It's the same drug. They're gonna turn into it's a the woman. Same drug. It's just all about the packaging. Wow. Yeah. They took a woman's name and put fem on the end, seraphim. That's how I can tell. It's, it, yeah, it's straight up. Very obvious marketing. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Anyways, any other questions? Um, no. Okay, well, let's wrap up this segment. I have one more thing I want to talk about before we go. All right, sounds All right. good. So we'll see you back in a minute. There's one last subject I want to talk about. Does it have to do with poop? No, it doesn't have to do with poop. It doesn't have to do with brand name or generic medicines. Mm, I think I know what it is. What? I think you want to talk about a Christian perspective. I do. I want to talk about how we see all these things, our pain and our sickness, and we're not going to do a, a full theological discourse. But as a medical provider who is a Christian, I do want to remind myself and everyone else that whenever we have pain and suffering, whether it's just, oh, this nasal congestion is so annoying, I can't go to sleep, or... I have a debilitating long-term medical condition or I have a terminal illness, either way, we still have to remember that nothing is by chance. Everything is under the sovereign control of God. And there is a role for uh, healing that can come about as a result of our faith and our prayers. So I'm not against, obviously, the fact that with the, that scripture in James 5 talks about when you're sick, call for the elders of the church to come pray over you and anoint you with oil, which I have never done that personally. Have you? I haven't. Do you know of anyone who has? I don't know. But no, I've never heard of anyone doing that personally. I have some friends that have. Okay. And to be honest, it wasn't like it resulted in a miraculous healing for them. Uh, they did tell me that it was very peaceful. It was more of a spiritual reminder that they were acknowledging God as their, as the Lord, the master over their life. And that brought them great peace. Okay. Um, I do think in the new Testament though, it, it did, there was miraculous healings and there still can be miraculous healings. And we should still go to God in prayer and say, God, please heal me. Yeah. Um, and, and that is not weakness and that is us not turning our brains off. And it's really hard as a Western medicine trained person. Uh, we just think about things so, you know, empirically. And there is a whole realm of spirituality that definitely imports a lot of benefits. And they are starting to acknowledge that, like seeing the benefits of prayer. But yeah, I just wanted to remind us that there are consequences of our sin in Psalm 32. David talks about like how his bones were groaning because of his sin. And I think that we can sometimes have physical pain if we are being disobedient to God. And if we are his child, he is going to chastise and discipline us. So just, I had a Bible study leader once who talked about when we are sick, that's a good time to stop and check ourselves, which I had never considered before to think, okay, why am I sick right now? Is there a sin in my life that I need to repent of? Is there something God's trying to teach me through this? Or what I learn the most often when I'm sick is 
I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I think sometimes I am so go, 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 that God makes me rest by inflicting illness on me at times because otherwise I will never rest. So there might be something that God is trying to teach you through your sickness. You won't know necessarily always in this life, might not find out until we stand face to face with him. But I just want to encourage everyone that, you know, when you're sick, yes, go down the pharmacy aisle, talk to your doctor, do whatever, you know, home therapeutic treatments you can. But definitely still get on your knees, examine your heart, and pray to God to heal you. And I do have one story I want to close this with. When I was on a mission trip to India a few years ago, I got probably the sickest I can remember getting in a very short period of time. It was just like the worst flu ever. And I had no immunity to something like that. I remember I was sitting on the floor and I moved my toe or my foot and I thought, ooh, I must have sprained my ankle because my it feels like it's swollen or tender and then I looked and I was like no my ankle's not swollen everything looks fine and then that feeling started spreading to every joint in my body like as soon as I would move it I would feel horrific pain it was horrible yeah terrible flu and it struck me ill and I was supposed to still be going into the slums in the summer no AC like you're dripping wet from your own sweat Um, if you're sick like the smells can really get to your stomach and I was just thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to do this it was the next day and I was still feeling like even worse I felt just like death warmed over and I remember thinking I God I can't do this today I can't do this and I prayed and I really felt God telling me not in an audible voice necessarily but in my heart I felt him telling me no you can do this I will be with you I will give you strength just trust me these like you don't have much longer here to minister to these people and I want to show you something so I just trusted him I got him the little rickshaw we drove over to the slum I still felt so sick we walk down the I get out of the rickshaw we walk down the little narrow alleys into one of the buildings um And I was actually teaching and somebody was translating um, and I was, you know, giving also some lessons on hygiene and medicine and speaking with young girls about things that, you know, we take for granted with our kind of education about puberty and um, and sharing some spiritual truths with them as well. And, And I just remember I just started teaching and I still felt ill when I started teaching. And then within like five minutes, I all of a sudden it occurred to me oh, I don't feel bad anymore. I'm going to be able to do this. And I, from earlier in the day, I couldn't even like stand up and walk without holding onto a wall. I felt so weak. By that end of the session, I remember it had been like over half an hour and I'd been standing and walking and talking and laughing. And it was just as if it immediately fell off my shoulders. And some people could say that's a placebo effect. That's an adrenaline rush. I don't know. I don't really care what it was. I just, I didn't think I was capable of doing something like, of having that kind of faith and just saying, okay, God, 
I'm gonna do this even though I really feel like I shouldn't be doing anything other than lying in a bed. And I really believe that day he healed me and I was, I was fine. Um, I remember pretty much it left me that day. And I think I had a little bit still of like, had to be careful what I ate the rest of the time I was there. But I, that sickness was gone, which was amazing. And so why don't you think that happens more often? I don't know. I don't know because it definitely hasn't. I mean, there was my med school interview where I like literally lost my voice on the plane flight over to my interview. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, please God, give me my voice back for my interview. And all I could have was this much of a voice. I was like shrieking to just get out like a whisper. But I got in and maybe, maybe, maybe just the fact that I had a hoarse voice, I stuck out in their minds more, sure. right? Like they thought, oh, this girl has resilience. She can make it. So we don't always know why God doesn't answer our prayers. I've had, it seems like every time I'm supposed to do a special and, and sing at, at church, I lose my voice or I get a cold right before that and sometimes I'm not always healed in time and those things are about you and your endeavors yeah and that's what I'm every, it's a personal thing for every individual when I mean I, for I me it's a lot of times knocking down my pride I think when you uh, when you left your room with the flu it was for the sake of the people you were going to that's that's true but I do that at work I mean you've seen me crawl out of bed with yeah. the fever and body aches and feel awful and take know a, that a, I have a full schedule. I cannot cancel on my patients today. I might have to wear a mask because I don't want to get anybody else sick, but yeah. you know, I'll take some Tylenol and I'll suck it up and I'll go to work. Yeah. And it, you know, I might still feel pretty crummy, but at least I can get through the day. Um, so I don't know why. Sometimes he heals me, sometimes he doesn't, and yeah. none of us really know why. I suppose he works through his purposes regardless. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is just our ruminations. I wanted to close off, we've done these past couple episodes and I wanted to make sure to offer uh, some Christian perspective to consider. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a good discussion and we definitely need to have some more talks. So please, if you have any suggestions, if you wanna give me a shout out, leave me a, a message even through the Anchor app uh, or find me on my Facebook page or Gmail, healthyburianliving at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Bye.